Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today on Fuel Radio. My guest today is Leah Pels. Leah is a mom, a registered clinical counselor, three-time Olympian, and published author. She's also a survivor of developmental trauma and believes in the healing nature of humans. Her book, Not About the Metal, is her story of love, substance abuse, and resiliency. She has a private counseling practice, is on the WorkSafe BC Critical Incident Response Team, and is currently completing her certification in Focused Oriented Counseling. Leah grew up in a home that was filled with love, but also deep-rooted suffering, which presented as alcoholism. Running became her way of coping. The adversity she faced strengthened her resiliency and fueled her desire to be a healer. To this day, she runs nearly every day and finds calm and grounding in connecting with Mother Earth and movement. Please welcome Leah Pels. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Fuel Radio. My guest today, as you heard in the introduction, is Leah Pels, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Well, it's awesome to be here, Rod. Thanks so much for inviting me on. <laughs> this is kind of creepy, but I Instagram creeped Leah because... <laughs> I think one of our favorite running, well, I walk, you, you run and walk. I think you do both. You do a combination of both. It seems like yeah. but you're always so cheery out on the trail there. And I, I recognized your face and having been a bit of a track fanatic in my past, well, more of an Olympian. I love watching the, I used to watch the Olympics from start to finish. So yeah. I knew who you were. And um, I wanted to start out by just talking a little bit about your running career. You ran for you went to three Olympics and uh, barely missed out on a bronze medal, <laughs> which was, I, I remember watching that race. I saw, I saw definitely watched you in that, in that race, or at least saw highlights of it or something like that. So yeah. Yeah, how many years did you run for? How long was your running career? Um, I was on the Canadian national team for 12 years straight. So, oh. I mean, I, I run my whole life, but that would be, I guess that chunk of time would be the yeah. serious running. Yeah. Did you sort of like, did you retire or whatever after the Atlantic, Atlanta Olympics or did you keep, keep, um, I, I did one more. I did the Sydney Olympics in 2000 Okay. and I got injured at those Olympics, uh, oh. which was kind of a drag. And then I was tentatively training for the 2004 Olympics, but, uh, my mom passed away that summer. Okay. And so it just kind of, I just, everything just kind of rejigged and changed for me. Right. So the 2000 Olympics was, was the last of it. What are some of the things that I, you know, just reading up on you and uh, we're, we're going to get to this, just talk a little bit about addiction and growing up in a home where there is addiction, but um, it, it says in your, in different places that running was a bit of an escape for you, but what, what were some of the things that you take away from your, your running career that you still like to talk to talk about to people today? Um, well, I think it's a really great segue now for me as a clinical counselor, because I'm always talking about the pillars of wellness with people, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, sleep, clean eating connection and cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. So my main motivation or my main reason behind running since I was 11, even though at 11, I maybe didn't know it, but was to soothe my brain, to feel better, to kind of help regulate myself, to just make me feel well and happy. And it's, it worked. So I just keep on doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many physiological, uh, 
things that happen, don't they, when, when we exercise. So those alone are, are worth it. And then getting outdoors and, um, and, and you're still doing it today. And, uh, what, why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep getting out, out into the outdoors? Well, I mean, you know, being in nature is really grounding. So it's really good for us humans, um, to connect with mother earth and, you know, really the running and the exercise for me, it's still, it serves me in the sense that it keeps my brain healthy. So it's really good for mood. You know, you're releasing endorphins, which are very soothing. Um, you know, we get a lot of serotonin from the sun, like just, I think really for me, you know, my main reason that I still run pretty much every day is just for brain health. It just makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. You know? Yeah. yeah you mentioned you didn't really know what it was doing for you as a child. What was your upbringing? Like what, what was going on at, at home? Yeah, it was, it was, um, I grew up in a fairly dysfunctional environment. My mom, uh, was a alcoholic, a substance used a variety of substances, mainly alcohol. And, you know, I mean, this is back in, you know, the seventies and eighties when, first of all, we didn't talk about it. We didn't share it with anybody. And, you know, I remember on several occasion, occasions, even calling the police because there was a lot of um, violence in, in our home, depending on my mom had different boyfriends and the police would literally come and they would realize it was a domestic situation and they would leave. So it was a really different environment than, than what mm -hmm. it is now. Yeah. And, you know, I think my main goal when I was a kid was to get out of the house. Like that was my first goal was I got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, you're 11 or 12 years old. Where do you go? What do you do? I was in rural Langley. And, you know, so the thing that worked for me was running. I would go and like run on country roads close to the border, like, you know, close to Zero Avenue, way out there. And I would right. just be gone for hours. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I took up cycling later in life and that's where I ended up cycling a lot out on those roads. So I know those roads that you're beautiful. You're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You can go forever out there. You can yeah. go forever. There's, you know, I would look at all the cows grazing and it just was such a peaceful feeling for me that it really very quickly, I created that connection to mm -hmm. feeling really unsafe and scared in my home and going running and actually starting, you know, feeling good and, and noticing happiness and feeling free and feeling safe. And so, you know, once I put that together, it, it just really became my go-to. I mean, not to minimize it, but it's great that you found a healthy outlet for that. <laughs> it is, yeah. Did you ever get into any unhealthy ways of coping uh, as well? You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't think there's any perfect humans. I think yeah. my unhealthy coping would be, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, being really rigid and really obsessive about running a certain amount of miles and, mm -hmm. you know, eating a certain way. Like I was very, very restrictive with myself as a way to, you know, as I look back now, I was really trying to control my environment and myself as much as I could because I was living in chaos, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, there were times when running, maybe I took it too far, you know, and it was 
verging on being unhealthy, you know, running miles and miles when you're almost injured or trying not to eat or, you know, just kind of taking that a long way. I never really uh, got into substances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I'll have the odd drink now and then or whatever, but I, ne- I never really did because I was so disgusted, you know, watching my mom drink and drink for, you know, sometimes two weeks straight. Mm. Just was such a deterrent for me. And same with, with smoking, like back then, you know, smoking cigarettes was kind of a lot of my peers were doing that in school. My mom was like a chain smoker and I was just, it did the opposite for me. Mm-hmm. I was just, I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with any of that stuff. Wow. Now as a counselor, do you see a lot of people who grew up or are children of alcoholics or children of people who are addicted? Is that kind of the way it goes? Like, it seems like either people are destined to repeat what their parents did and they, you know, that I, I think there is a high prevalence of um, people who are addicted. It's kind of like it's a, a genetic thing. But the, I, I, I've also met people like you who like don't want anything to do with it. You know, like I, I can even say for myself, like food is was an issue for my dad in particular growing up. And it's like I, there's something in me definitely as you're saying this, that I there's something there's a voice in my head that. I mean, I still exercise and diet from time to time. I think that's probably a product of me thinking, I don't ever want to be unhealthy. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that to. So do you see that? Is there kind of like that polarity or? or... Um, I think it really depends. I mean, what addiction really is, is when you take a human being and they're suffering immensely and they do something and it reduces the suffering, your brain remembers that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's really from in my belief, that's really how addiction is born. It starts off as a coping mechanism that works. Brain remembers it. You repeat that pattern over and over and over. And then you've got like an addiction, which is like a super strong, unhealthy habit. If you want, like the brain creates these cues. So it's kind of like cue behavior reward. Mm-hmm. So the cue, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm suffering behavior. I'm going to drink alcohol, do drugs. I'm going to eat. I'm going to, you know, shop too much, gamble too much, run too much, whatever. And the reward is I temporarily feel better. Right. So I think it really depends on the individual. Um, I don't, I don't believe that addiction is genetic per se. I, that's not my, um, you know, I don't believe there's a, a gene that yeah. tells us that I think it's more, uh, there are people that create habits really quickly. Right. So it's more think, a product of your environment and maybe it was the product uh, of your parents are a product of their environment or yeah. so I didn't mean to jump in there. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's yeah. a super, like, it's a super complicated issue. So I think right. it just is like a, a perfect storm. So there are people that create habits very fast. So mm-hmm. I create habits very quickly. So if I repeat a behavior two or three times, I notice in myself, Oh, Now I've got this habit. I did this. Now I'm going to do this. So I'm aware of that. So if you want to kind of take that to, you know, a farther place, you could say that I'm a, I have an addictive personality because I can create habits really quickly. So then it depends on what is, what is your environment like? So my environment, I think genetically I have, I'm more like my dad. So I have a lot of, um, strengths or, um, 
what's the term I'm looking for? Resolve. If I decide I'm going to do something, I will make myself do it, which is, I think, more of a genetic thing. I think the environment I was raised in, I was so disgusted with it. And I loved my mom very much, but I was really disgusted by watching someone just lose themselves in, you know, drugs and alcohol. And then the people that came into our home because of that, it just made me so, I just was like, I'm never living like that. I will never, you know, and, and I didn't like, you know, I mean, even, you know, even in university, um, I partied a little bit, but I very quickly was like, this isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, interesting. I saw in your bio too, you went to UBC, right? What year did you go? Uh, I did. Um, well, I did my undergrad at SFU and then I did okay. my master's at UBC. So it was okay. like pretty recent, like 2010. Okay. okay. Master's. Yeah. So <laughs> you did your undergrad there, I'm guessing. I did. Yeah. Yeah. But way back in the eighties. <laughs> that was me over at SFU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I see also from Instagram creeping you that your dad's making some nice bowls. So he's out, your dad's kind of always been around or in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I'm, I'm blessed in a lot of ways. My dad and my stepmom Lana have always been there and Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're very stable, healthy, you know, just, yeah, really good humans for me to be around. And yeah, my dad's an incredible artist. He's, you know, really creative with wood as, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help him get the products out there because he's got a shed. His wood shop is like got hundreds of these beautiful bowls and boxes and stuff. And I'm like, dad, we gotta, we gotta move some of this stuff. (laughs) They're really beautiful. People can check them out on your Instagram. Oh yeah. Well, I started, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Rod. Is he a little bit like an artist? Like he, he, he creates his art, but he doesn't really know how to get it out there. He's a little 100%, hesitant 100%. about putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. My dad's 80. And so no computer, no cell phone, none of that. Yeah. But he's super artistic. Like he even mm-hmm. grinds down, you know, jade or Malachi, like precious stone and embeds it into the wood. Like his work is just, wow. it's phenomenal. And yeah. I'm really proud of him. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always trying to showcase it. <laughs> We got to get him a Shopify store or something like that. It's I know. Not, it's not I, that hard to do these days. Not 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 have him do it, but yeah, <laughs> no, I would it. I would be the one doing it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're involved in uh, counseling. You're. It seems like you're serving at a few different places. And one thing that came up that I'm not familiar with, I saw, is focused oriented counseling. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, So focused oriented therapy is a type of counseling where you work more with the body sensations. So Carl Rogers uh, created kind of a client centered or person centered counseling where the belief is that the client knows themselves best. So it's kind of like, um, you know, the client kind of in, you know, I guess, working together with the counselor, figuring out what's going on for them, what hasn't been helpful. So focusing is even a kind of a step further. This fellow, Eugene Genlin, who worked with Carl Rogers, it's more paying attention to the, the sensations in the body. So mm-hmm. our bodies have a way of communicating with us and letting us know what's right, what's not right, what we need to do, because human beings, we tend to be stuck up here a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just because we think it or we say it to ourselves doesn't mean it's truthful. 
right? The body is always truthful. So if you tune into yourself and you have a sensation, for example, in your stomach and you're paying attention to it, what does it feel like? And you're trying to kind of um, describe the sensation that you're feeling. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's very powerful in the sense that it literally kind of helps you to understand what you need to do, what's going on. Sure. You know, so it's not like a a quick cure, like there's no such thing, but it's just a different type of counseling. It's just more, let's let your body tell us what's going on. Yeah. I find that super interesting. I've been practicing contemplative prayer for a long time and sort of the, the organizations, one of the organizations that I learned it from has a prayer called the welcoming prayer. And what you do is you're just open to the sensations in your body and what you're feeling. And their process is be open to it, welcome it, feel it, you know, don't judge it. Don't, don't try to push it away. Just be aware of it. And like you say, let your body teach you. And this particular organization has you then go into what might be the source of it and what do you have to let go of? So it might be different areas of your ego. So self you know, you're trying to get esteem, you're trying to change things, you're trying to control things. (laughs) And then you're supposed to just let it go. But I would imagine uh, it'd be really helpful to have somebody who has been trained in that and what the signs are and to have someone sort of facilitate you doing that. That would be, that would be very helpful. I mean, I, I do practice that prayer quite often and, yeah. and just try to be aware of what's going on in my body. But I can imagine it'd be really helpful to have somebody take you through yeah. the process. Yeah. Well, that literally what you described as the welcome prayer sounds almost exactly like what focusing is. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're doing that and checking in with yourself daily or, you know, several times a week, then you're very connected to your body. And that's a huge plus. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it sounds really similar to focusing. It's amazing for me to that when you when I just get in touch with what's going be aware of what's going on in my body. And, And it's funny, too. They also say in the teaching that your body doesn't lie. Like your, our heads do, our minds do, yeah. but our bodies never lie. Do they? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so truthful. It's like, yeah. um, you know, I read a really cool article recently about how the body tags trauma. So the body has a memory for trauma. Oh, and, yeah. and the article was by Kevin Cameron and it was in, it was in regards to the one year, you know, anniversary on COVID mm-hmm. where a lot of people were feeling unwell and uncomfortable and they just couldn't figure out why, but it's because the body, had tagged that memory. So Mm -hmm. it was experiencing, it's been a year since we've been kind of in this lockdown. So you're totally right, Rod, like the body is super honest. I mean, we can tell ourselves whatever we want up here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So take us through the process just a little bit. So you would help someone just become aware of what's going on in their body and sort of, where do you take it, take it from there? Yeah, well, you know, and um, so it's kind of like we call it the it, right? Like we're connecting with it, whatever that may be in the body. So you just, you gently kind of help someone, you know, first we clear a space. So that is kind of like take all that busy stuff in your mind that's keeping you up here, kind of just put it to the side so that you have the opportunity to connect with your body. Right. right. And then it's just like really going into, you know, kind of going into your body and just going wherever your body wants you to go. Mm-hmm. And then just speaking to, oh, you know, I notice a fluttery feeling in my stomach and, 
you know, the, the, the therapist would be like, okay, can you sit with that for a bit and just see what happens? Um, you know, see if it shifts or if it goes anywhere else. And it just kind of works like that. It's a little different for every human. Obviously we're all different. Mm -hmm. Some people have a harder time connecting with their body because some of us are very, you know, we're very much in our heads Yeah. and some people are really great at connecting with their body. So it happens really quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of, um, it's probably like when you first started the welcome prayer at first, you were probably like, Oh, this is kind of different. How do I do this? And it might've been a little awkward, right? You know, and then the more you do it, you're like, Oh, I really feel good when I connect with my body. It feels natural. Yeah. You have those one or two experiences that, uh, really make a difference, you know, and you go, okay, maybe there's really is something going on here and there's something to this. Yeah. You also got some press for, (laughs) and I've seen these, you, you paint rocks and leave them up on uh, Eagle Ridge. Um, You, you, you got some press for that. And I'm just looking for the term that was used, but uh, oh yeah. Spreading love one stone at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Are are you still doing that? I think that the last time I was up there was about a month ago. I didn't see any rocks, but (laughs) yeah, I'm still doing it. So it's kind of funny. It started, I started doing that about 15 years ago where when I was, before I was a counselor, I was a teacher and I typically worked in alternative ed programs. So with youth that are really struggling. Yeah. So I started painting rocks and giving them a rock after we had a conversation as a way. So when they had the rock, they would think about our conversation. It would kind of cue them and remind them. Mm. And then I started, you know, putting different words on the rocks, depending on the student and their need or their situation. Mm -hmm. And then, so the kids liked it and I would start, then I would leave them around the building, whatever school I was working at. And then I started leaving them around the neighborhood. And then in my private practice, I have a big bowl of rocks, all different painted colors with different words. And at the end, I offer a client a stone, like same thing to kind of ground them back to the conversation we had. And then I started to leave them on the crunch and then on the bluff. And I notice I had, it's funny, like sometimes they'll sit up on the bluff for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Sometimes I'll carry some rocks up there and leave them and then they're gone the next weekend. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know when I see them, it's like, are you, are you allowed to take these? Are these here? So that we'll (laughs) take, you're allowed to take them. If you need it, you take it. (laughs) There's been someone else just on the trail across from us here that they haven't, they haven't been doing it lately, but they painted some beautiful rocks too. I I find it kind of cool. It's, it's, it's neat. So it really kind of seemed to catch on when we were locked down a year ago during COVID. I noticed there was tons of painted rocks. People oh, were, yeah. really, you yeah. know, looking for stuff to do with their kids and whatnot. And I noticed a lot of them around, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Have you got any feedback or uh, any input on the, any reaction to that? Oh yeah. Like um, I'll hand them out. Sometimes I'll be doing the crunch and I'll, I'll just randomly give one to someone or, leave them somewhere. And some, and like, sometimes I'll put our spread love. We have a, an Instagram page to spread love campaign that my, my, uh, and a colleague and, and my best friend, Natasha does it too. Okay. Sometimes people will reach out to us and be like, man, I was having such a bad day. You know, he gave me a stone or I found a stone. I really needed it. Like, yeah, it's been neat. Like I've actually met people and made connections just through them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of a fun little thing to do. 
Yeah. Have you been up to the bluff lately? Is that a place I that have. you still go or you? I love the bluff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Um, I'm probably going to hit it up this weekend. Last weekend I did. And every once in a while I get, I don't know, like I'll get nervous because some I go up there sometimes by myself. So sometimes I get a bit nervous, like, um, you know, I hate, you know, I don't want to kind of go down that path, but you know, whenever you read about a woman who's gone missing or anything right. that happens, it makes, I get a little more sketched out. And of course I have yeah. a trauma history. So okay, yeah, I, yeah. So I'm going to try and get myself back up there this weekend. As soon as I do it once, then I'm over it and I'm like good again. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, I, I, there's bears in the air. There was a couple of cougars in the air. That was, that kind of kept me right. from going up there. I know. I know. Same. <laughs> Unfortunately, those cougars lost their life. And, um, Oh. And I don't know if you heard, but they found the the person that you're probably talking about. They found her yeah. in Abbotsford. So yeah. that was really sad. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, I don't know, anytime you hear something like that as a woman, it's just, yeah. you know, I mean, not that men don't have, you know, worries when they're out alone, but I feel, it, you know, as a female, sometimes it does, you know, you don't feel super safe. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. But I got my, I got bear spray. <laughs> I think I might get some. I've had at least four yeah. or five bear encounters since I've been living here, just across the street. They, they yeah. come down, down here to the inlet, you know. Yeah. So. And I think about that sometimes. I, I mean, I'm the father of two daughters and my wife as well, and just think that um, it's something. You're right. I, as a, as a, as a male, I don't have to worry about that too, that other aspect of it too much. But yeah. um, being a female, I, I can see that that would be worrisome for sure. You do have to worry about that. Yeah. yeah I just sort of kind of, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's fine on trails and stuff like that, but you know, yeah. sometimes you think too much or, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So people who are listening, if they don't know what we're talking about, they probably don't. There's a bluff that you can go up to that's above uh, Port Moody and Coquitlam here. And you look out and you see Bunston Lake down below, uh, these vistas, and then behind that is um, is Mount Seymour and, and the mountains that sort of behind Mount Seymour. It can be really beautiful up there. Oh, it's stunning, yeah. isn't it? I, yeah. I love my favorite time is I like going up there in the summer when it's really oh, lush and there's like meadows and yeah, yeah. It's, it's we live in a beautiful place. You can eat blackberries the whole way if you want. <laughs> away. <laughs> <laughs> excellent so what's what's is there anything new and upcoming for you that you'd like people to know about or what's, uh... um, kind of what I do right now and it'll change a little in the fall is I work four days a week as a school counselor and then evenings and Sundays I work in my private practice okay. as a clinician and I'm going to go down to three days a week in the fall. I'm going to take another day at home in my private practice. I really like doing that work. Oh, great. That's, you know, that's probably the only new thing <laughs> going on sure. in my world. <laughs> <laughs> and I know if people Google Leah Pell's counseling, you can find information and how to get in contact with Leah. But before we go, there was another question I want to ask you. Do you yeah. have sort of any advice for people who have grown up around addiction i you know i i i think we all have and it's maybe even more prevalent than we realize like and and you're, you're so right like um 
I mean, my parents were very religious and sort of teetotalers, but we still had some of the softer addictions around in our house. Yeah. And I know friends of mine for sure grew up in, in alcoholic homes. And I know that has an impact on people. So I'm just wondering if you have any, some advice for people who are children's of, children of addicts or alcoholics. Yeah, well, I'm not a big advice giver because okay. I, you know, I don't know, everybody's so different, but I would say really, you know, kind of getting back to the pillars of wellness, you know, so starting with, you know, good sleep, connection, which means having healthy relationships with good people that you can talk to, right? Being vulnerable mm-hmm. and talking about how we feel is super helpful yeah, um, and very healing, you know, being, you know, exercising, getting out with nature, moving your body so that your brain is rewarded with those feel good chemicals, you know, watching your own substance use, like being aware of when you feel, am I creating a sort of a dependency here? Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? You know, I think those are all really, really helpful things. And, you know, I mean, I obviously believe in the process of counseling. I think it's really helpful. You know, I've on and off throughout the years, always been involved in counseling in my own life for my own self. I think it's really helpful to be able to talk openly and honestly with someone who, you know, you know, there's confidentiality and you can get all that stuff out. Um, The other thing that I really hold, I have two things actually that I try to really live by is one stay in the day. Mm -hmm. Today's Monday. All I have to do is Monday, right? Mm -hmm. Tuesday doesn't exist. Sunday's gone. I have this one day because I think a lot of people, um, especially when they're struggling, get caught up in this future thinking Mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of anxious feelings because there's nothing we can do about tomorrow because there's nothing. And then the second thing is I always ask myself, what can I control in this? Mm -hmm. So if I'm say I'm living with someone who's abusing substances or I have in the past, what can I control in that? Me. I can control myself, my reaction, the choices that I make. There's nothing I can do about someone else's, the way that they're living, the choices that they make. People are always like, oh, you know, we, you know, I mean, because I, I work with a lot of adolescents. And so the parents or whoever will be like, we need to get this person to do this. And I'm like, if you can figure out how to get someone to do something they don't want to do. You're going to be very wealthy because it just doesn't (laughs) work that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like, instead of getting, trying to, you know, get someone else to change their behavior, change your own in regard to it. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense that you can't control. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I would say those, those, those things are things that for me create a sense of wellness anyway. So hopefully they'll, they'll be helpful for other people out there. That's great. It's a little bit like the serenity prayer, right? Like do, do what you can and sort of, and let go of the rest. hundred percent. Right. What can I control? What can't, and how can I accept those things Mm -hmm. that I can't control? Yeah. Right. Because other people can do whatever they want as much as they want. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it. Right. Right. Yeah. And so often we're focusing on what's out there, aren't we? And focusing on on our circumstances and focusing on tomorrow and and we kind of forget about ourselves and what we we can do to to improve our own situation or whatever yeah yeah there's um a neuroscientist that i love his name's rick hansen yeah i've heard Um, of him yeah 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 yeah. um 
So he, I call him the happy brain guy, and he is all about noticing the good, enhancing that good feeling, mm-hmm. right? You know, to really highlight the good parts of your day versus letting one bad situation kind of shade the entire day dark, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really love, I've read everything that he's ever written. And I, I really believe in his work in, in a sense of training our brains to hang on to good. Mm. That sounds good. We'll have to include a link to him in our in our show notes. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty amazing. I, I actually thought about that somewhat today. It's like like I, I do marketing. I have one account that's not going so well. And I, I do kind of catastrophize it a little bit and feel like, oh, I'm I'm a terrible marketer, you know. <laughs> Instead of focusing on, you know, all of the other accounts that are are going well. That are know? good. Or even yeah. Or even in that one account, that's not going well. What part of that can you control? Like maybe there's a part of that that isn't going well, but it's not something that you can control. Maybe it's something else, right? Absolutely. So you, can only do your, you can only do your part in that. And then right. the rest, the part that we can't control, you know, you gotta let it go. Yeah. So good. I'm help. I'm, I'm grateful that we had this conversation. <laughs> I can think of some things. I know there's things I can do to make that situation better. I just got to do them instead of getting down on myself, right? (laughs) Yeah, getting down on yourself won't serve you, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, it's great to finally meet you and have a bit more of a conversation. You always light up. You're always so happy on the trails. (laughs) (laughs) I know, because I'm out of the house and I'm in nature and I'm just running. It's like... Yeah. Really, how can you not, you know, how can you not be happy out there? Right. And I know we live down here in Suderbrook. So when I get yeah. up to a certain point, the noise is, it's very noisy here, but there's right. a certain point on that trail where it's just, it just gets quiet. And, and so uh, and I find the air is different up there too. Yes, for sure. Just yeah. so clean, you know? So yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks again. It's been great to visit with you. And where do people find out more about you? Is it, is it through that just Googling Leah Pell counseling? Is that the best way to get in touch um, with you? Yeah. Like you, you can DM me on Instagram, Instagram too. Um, yeah. I have a, I wrote a book too a while ago. So I have a webpage, just leahpells.com. Yeah. There's some stuff there. And then, yeah. Like if you Google me, it'll, my name will come up like either with running or with counseling or whatever. I'm, I don't think I'm that hard to track down, but. <laughs> you know, I know we're sort of wrapping. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. I did notice your book. Sorry for not bringing that up. I'll, That's I'll, okay. No worries. I'll mention that in the show notes too. But like you, a statement really stood out to me. What What did you learn from your Olympic experience? Like you said, it, it mentioned that you missed out on a, on a, a bronze, a bronze medal by half a second or something like that. Yeah. Really, really uh, close. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what was it that you, you learned from your Olympic experience or what are you talking about there when you say it's not about the, not about the medal? Well, when I say it's not about the medal running for me was more about saving myself and creating mm. a different life. Right. I mean, getting to go to the Olympics was a real bonus. Um, because running in itself was helpful and healing for me as a child. And it still is as an adult. So, you know, when I didn't get the bronze medal, a lot of, there was a lot of people out there that were way more upset than I was, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, absolutely thrilled. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously I wouldn't say no to a medal, but 
that wasn't the point. The point of me running all those years was doing something for myself that made me feel better. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to rely on anybody. And what I learned from that is that if you find something in your life that makes you feel good and it brings happiness and joy to you, do it and do it all the time and never give it up. Because as I got older, you know, you have conversations with different people and they'll be like, oh, I used to love running or I used to love painting or I used to love pottery. And I'm like, why did you let that go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like this is, you know, we are, we're all in charge of our own lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you find something that soothes you and feels good, like running is just that thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, you know, it's, it, it was never about, I never went into it to, you know, become a medalist. I went into it essentially to save myself and, you know, and I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, such a, it's such a great point. I think in this day of where we have so many media options and stuff like that, it seems like our lives can get pretty one dimensional. Like you say, there's not, we're not doing the things that maybe get, bring us, bring us life and joy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I always wonder why, you know, like, people spend so much time working, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of like, like I get it. I mean, to a certain degree, we have to work and make money and live. Right. But we, you know, it's that old saying we don't, our life isn't work. Our life exists outside of work. Even if you love what you do and you love your job, your life still really exists outside of work. So what are the things that you can do outside of work that bring you joy, Mm -hmm. you know, and make time for those things. Like sometimes my, you know, my schedule with count with the two jobs will get busy. So I go way ahead in my day book and I slot in all my runs and I take, I book that time for myself. And then when I get closer to it, I never give it up. It's like, nope, that time's booked. Yeah. You know, so there's ways to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me of that, the saying, uh, don't, uh, we don't live to work. We work to live. Right. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right? I have, some, I have some friends that, um, they got into CrossFit and they're older. They're like, they're like my age. Right? I won't say, I won't say about, Our age. about I won't say anything about your age. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all good with my age. We're probably good. the fittest, like 56, 57, 58 year olds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And they went through quite a traumatic business experience and uh, they were working out at the time and they've just never quit. They've just never let it up. They're the oldest people in the CrossFit gym, I'm sure. That's awesome. But, but it, it's the thing that I think has helped keep them sane and, and, uh, and continues to really help them. And of course, they're all of the side benefits of, of, of working out and being healthy, right? As well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I know I've got a few people that, that I know that, I guess that I've never done CrossFit. I should mm-hmm. probably give it a try because people seem to love it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I know for me, it was, it was probably a few years ago. Uh, and you can probably relate to this, but it rained like just until May. And so I just kept using that as an excuse not to go outside. And I love going outside. Like that is definitely my place of connection. Yeah. And I just got to the point and it's it lasted since then where I just said, I'm not going to that stinking gym anymore. (laughs) I I need to be outside just walking or jogging or whatever. And then I find after 45 minutes to an hour, 
is where things really drop off and I really into I'm into another another zone there that's that's very healthy and helpful yeah yeah you're totally right and that's exactly when the brain starts to release all those nice endorphins and they soothe you right Mm. is body has to get to a certain place of discomfort through the exercise and and then you're rewarded for it so Hmm. great well fantastic Leah well I'll see you out on the trails and I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today yeah, no, I really appreciate the conversation with you, Rod. And I'll, yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing you up on the bluffs. You've been listening to fuelradio.com. 